This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. John, I'm one of the elders of this church, I'm the elder elder, but I don't mind being the elder elder, that's not so bad. I'd just be interested to know, um, how many people have been here in this church less than, say, three visits? Could you stick your hands up for a second? Fantastic, fantastic people here. Can we just give them a, a round of applause? Lovely to have you with us. It's lovely being part of a city centre church where people pop in, pop out, or on visiting, whatever. Some people are just looking around, etc. We understand that, but you're very welcome. Lovely to have you with us. I feel like a nervous but highly charged particle this morning. So if you ever want to know what that looks like, it looks something like this. I feel God's put a word on my heart for the church this morning. But as always, anybody that gets up here, unless they've got nerves of steel, always feels slightly nervous. So... I'm going to read out a series of statements this morning, and then I hope you'll understand why I've read these out. I want to try and position the word I'm bringing this morning under the umbrella of these statements, so bear with me. I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is the Godhead three in one, working together in harmony for our good. I believe, and the Bible says, that God always had a perfect plan through his son Jesus to reunite all nations and peoples back to himself after sin had separated us from God. I believe that God the Father sent his one and only son Jesus to walk this earth as a man and to experience all the temptations, trials and persecutions that we will ever face and much, much more. This he did, but he never sinned. I believe that Jesus was crucified in our place and took our sins upon himself. He died a most appalling death on the cross. He descended into hell where he overcame Satan death and disease and he rose again on the third day in triumph i believe that jesus is now seated at the right hand of god on the throne where the government and rule is upon his shoulders i believe that anyone who calls on the name of the lord jesus will be saved and through that saving grace will receive the promises and inheritance spoken of in his word i believe in the written word of god which was inspired by god's holy spirit i believe all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. I believe God is the author and perfecter of our faith. I believe that his kingdom will never be shaken. I believe that one day he will return for his bride, the church. I believe that we will be with him in eternity. And finally, I believe in the total power and sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I would expect after statements like that that there is a little bit of a, maybe a bit of a stirring here, a little bit of an amen, you know. There used to be a guy that used to visit the church I was part of, an American pastor from Alabama. And if he didn't get a reaction about, about at the end of every line, he used to go out there, are you out there, he used to say. Now, he didn't have bad eyesight, but he actually was trying to say, look, actually, when you read out the word of God, powerful words of God, there must be some connection with you. If you're a Christian, you must connect with some of these things and actually say, yeah, I believe in some of those things. So I want that to be the umbrella of what I speak about this morning. It's important we understand the position of Christ before I talk this morning. Because I want to talk about spiritual opposition i want to talk about satan and it's not always a palatable thing to talk about but i want to talk about it under our understanding of where we are in christ so it's all about 
that under the supremacy and sovereignty of Jesus Christ. I want to give no credibility to Satan this morning, but rather expose him for what he is and what he sometimes does. However, I also recognize that sometimes our battles are self-inflicted and the enemy is not behind every misfortune that overcomes us. If I decide to cross the road and don't look both ways and get knocked over, or if I can't swim and I jump into the deep end of the swimming pool, that's my own stupid action. It's not the enemy's action. And sometimes our physical body can get in the way, can't it? It can let us down. We can get tired. We can get sick, etc. And again, that's not always enemy activity. That's sometimes the way we train our bodies. Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, 9 verse 26 uses the illustration of an athlete preparing for a race. And he says, no, I beat my body and make it my slave. Now, I'm not suggesting for one minute that Paul every morning got up and beat himself with a bamboo cane to make it hurt. But actually what he's saying is, I understand that my body has frailties and I need to to position it and put it into, into context. Why did he do that? Paul says, so that I will not be disqualified from the prize, which is our inheritance in Christ. So it's not always the body's natural inclination to eat properly and to train every day. And in Romans 8, most of that verse is given over to the sinful nature or the flesh. And it's all about disciplining our bodies. So getting before God, making sure our bodies aren't, you know, we're we're not a slave to our bodies. It's the other way around. So Satan's, demons, devils, these are not subjects that we always talk about in church. But talk about them, we must. There are many biblical examples of the casting out of demons and their defeats. In Matthew 7, verse 22, it talks about Jesus driving out demons and performing miracles. In Matthew 8, verse 16, it says Jesus drove out the demons with a word and healed the sick. In Matthew 8, 32, he drove out demons into a herd of pigs. In Matthew 10:17, the kingdom of heaven is near. Drive out the demons. And in Luke 10:17, it says the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And at that stage, it's almost like there was a transference of understanding here from the, from the disciples having watched Jesus do all those miracles. They suddenly thought, yeah, if I step up to the plate, if I step out, if I use the same words, I have the same power. I can cast out demons in Jesus' name. There used to be a song that said, Jesus said it, I believe it, and that's the way it's going to be. And sometimes we need to understand that is exactly what happens. Jesus said it, I believe it in my heart, so therefore that's the way it's going to be. I'm going to set my face like flint. In John 14, Jesus has explained to the disciples that he would be departing and his Holy Spirit would come. And I'm sure if I was one of the disciples, that must have been huge sadness there. Jesus, you're going, but when are you going to come? Aren't we going to take the world together? Aren't we going to take the gospel to all nations and you're going? I don't understand, Lord. So there was a, a sadness and confusion. But Jesus goes on to say, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. And he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And if you remember, Jesus went to the Father and left the deposit of his Holy Spirit on the earth. So does spiritual opposition still happen today or was it just some 2,000 years ago? Today's real life experiences still exist. If you speak to Ray and B or Jason Bakshu, who I love listening to when they go back to India and they speak into the family and friends if they go back into the villages, they see active enemy opposition to the word of God. But do they ever come back and say, 
God didn't break through. I've never heard that from any of them. It's always God in triumph. Whenever they bring the word of God into situations where the enemy has a, has a hold or a stronghold, God is always breaking through. God is omnipresent. He is in all places at all times versus Satan that can only be in one place at one time. God is omnipotent. He has great power versus Satan who has very limited power. Yes, there are some minions, some of Satan's helpers are around causing disruption and mayhem, but actually uh, we know that the power of God can cause them to be put to one side. So we must know our opponents. In business, it's crucial. In sport, it's part of the preparation. I know my counterparts and the other three big retail organizations I work with. I phone them up and we know what we're doing, each one of us. Now, if there's something really secret, we wouldn't tell each other. But I know what the opposition's doing and they know what I'm doing. In sports, it's really important that either as an individual or a team, you know what your opposition's all about. And Muhammad Ali made that great claim at one time. He said, I know... I know what my opponent's going to throw, what punch he's going to throw before he even throws it. He'd studied it so much that he was well ahead of the game, basically. Corrie ten Boom, that wonderful Dutch Christian who survived the Holocaust and survived being in Auschwitz, said this, the first step on the way to victory is to recognise your enemy. So true. If there's anybody that can talk about enemies and recognition of enemies, it would be that woman there. And there's another famous, well, maybe not so famous, Chinese proverb. Know your enemy and know yourself, and you can fight a hundred battles without disaster. In Ephesians 4, Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he exhorts them to become mature and not be blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. The Bible talks about the last days and many will come in the name of Jesus, many false prophets. And we can think of people that we know or other religious cults out there, the Mormons, the JWs. They mean well, but actually they've been deceived through false teachings and we must be, as Christians, wary of that. Here's some harsh words to the Hebrews and the heading in my Bible is warning against falling away. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Some harsh words there to the believers who were faced with increasing opposition in the church in those days and were in danger of falling away from God. I'd rather someone frightens me into heaven than pacified me into hell. And sometimes harsh words have to be brought to the church and through God's word we find them time and time again. It's important. We shouldn't shy away from them. Three times in the book of Peter, Peter says, be alert. Um, so as an elder of this church, my message today is to be alert, be prepared, be equipped, and know your opponents. And it's very strange, but I find it easier to spot the enemy's activity when difficulties and pressures abound in my life. But this is also the time when I find God on the same battlefield as me. And I don't know if that speaks for you or not, but when the storms, when the crisis, when the enemy presses in, my reaction more and more these days 
is to be spiritually aggressive. Maybe it's my age. No comments there, thank you. Or maybe I'm becoming a little less tolerant like Victor Meldrew. No comment again. Or maybe my previous experience of God's word and his miracle working power has caused me not to doubt quite so much and to expect his victories at every turn. If we sent you as a church out on a mission with Reinhard Bonnke or Billy Graham some 20 years ago and you were part of that fantastic mission field that blazed a trail across continent after continent and maybe we let you out there for him with either of those guys for six months, I would guarantee that you come back here on your first Sunday here and come down to the front and expect to see miracle working power in your midst, would you not? Because you've been actually exposed to that time and time again. It's like the norm. You go there, you see the miracle working power. Or maybe we send you out with Mahesh Chavda or the late great John Wimber to some of the healing ministries that they used to have. And you'd come back here and you'd be down the front on a Sunday praying for the sick, wouldn't you? Because you'd embrace the whole thing. You'd seen it. You'd seen God at work. Our old pastor from my old church had the privilege of going to Toronto when the Toronto blessing was happening, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was rampant in Toronto, and I believe it's still going on to these days. And he came back to the church. On the first Sunday he was back at the church, I think he spent a couple of weeks out there. The first Sunday he came back to the church. He wasn't going to bring a preach to the church. He, someone asked him, can you just stand up and tell, tell the congregation what's been happening, what have you seen, what have you felt from God as you've been in Toronto? And he got up on the stage and he just started to talk about what God had been doing in Toronto and how the Holy Spirit had been pouring out power. And he hadn't talked about the Bible or Scripture or anything. And that, the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon the congregation. People were crying and laughing and falling on the floor. It was the most wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit because he'd been immersed in the Holy Spirit. He'd seen it. He'd seen God work in front of him. So we must continue to expose ourselves to God's promises, his presence and his miracle working power. Life group leaders, thank you for what you do in this church. Keep on exposing those in your care to the things of God. Stretch them, provoke them and equip them. Tim and Chrissy and all those who ably support you, keep on exposing those in your care to the things of God. Nine weeks ago in this church, we had a visit from Terry Virgo. Many of you, I guess, would have been here. And the front row, I don't know how many chairs are on this front row 14 to, I don't know, 20 along there. Practically the whole front row was t- taken up at the end with people being prayed for. Terry had this ministry for people with back problems and, and shorter legs, etc. And he said, if you want prayer, come and sit down the front here. And this whole front row was taken up with people that wanted prayer for bad backs. That was my very first witness of a, minute of a, of a miracle. When I became a Christian in my old church, basically, I saw... One of our great friends' legs grow in front of me, and I've never, ever forgotten that. And when I saw it again then, as I came down to the town, it just reminded me of God's faithfulness to his people. But the thing that really, really blessed me is some of the children from Frog Club had come down here, and they're sitting along the stage watching God at work along here. And that's what we need to do. We need to take our young people, we need to take the youth of this church, and we need to expose them to the miracle-working power of God at every single opportunity. And they'll grow up expecting that, won't they? They'll grow up, no, that is the norm for them now. Any of those, those kids that were sitting down, they think, God, God heals today, God heals. Yes, he does. We've seen it in front of our eyes. Nothing can take that away now. So I now take it as an affront that the devil, who is described as the enemy and as a roaring lion in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, so supposes 
that he is more powerful than God, that he can devour someone without the people of God rising up in righteous anger. After all, Jesus declared, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me in Matthew 28, 18. This promise is now part of our inheritance as his people, is it not? All authority, not some of it, not a deposit, and I'll come back in 20 years' time and give you a bit more. All authority, at the minute we said yes to Jesus and we handed over our life, that deposit was, was given to us. Jesus, whilst talking to his disciples in John 8, verse 44, states that the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks in his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I want you to understand that the enemy hates you and me with a passion. As much as Jesus loves us with a passion, the enemy hates us with a passion. As we step out for Christ, as we speak to our neighbour about church, as we pick up the Bible, as we go to the prayer meeting, the enemy hates that. Absolutely hates it. We need to understand that. Let's take the, the scales off our eyes. The enemy hates that type of activity. But he has been defeated by Jesus' death on the cross. Yeah? And that's the position that we stand here today. So how dare he challenge the people of God? And how can we, who have been bought with such a great cost, stand idly by and let this happen? It's not about raising our voices and stamping our feet, but it is about our understanding, our authority before God this morning. Individually and corporately, we need to know our position in God our preparation before God and our opponent who is under God's authority. Our position. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people of God. A holy nation, a royal priesthood. We're chosen. No one can take that away from us. Our preparation The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. The power of God's word to demolish strongholds in our lives. Our opponents, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities and powers of this dark world. Ephesians 6 verse 12. So we must have more of a sense of urgency And we must maintain an edge to our spiritual lives. Sometimes a situation needs God's intervention. And you and I could be just the vessel God uses to bring about change. It's happened very recently in this church uh, with Graham and Sarah. Graham going away now trying to support planting of the churches right across the north of this country and abroad. Spiritual opposition in his household. Every time Graham went away, there was sickness in his household. Other disruptions in the household. So, probably late in the day, maybe, discerning the spirits here, part of the gifts of the spirit, we discerned, actually, this is enemy activity. This is not the norm any longer. Called the church to prayer. Church got before God. Said, it's enough is enough. Graham, last couple of times you've been away, what's been the situation? All good. God, powerful God, broke through. End of story. Who's more powerful? God every time. So let's press on. Let's pray. Let's get to the prayer meetings and your life group and see God's answer to prayer when you call on your name. So my natural default position now is to be aggressive and to raid the kingdom of darkness and reclaim the grounds 
the enemy has stolen. Yeah? You with me on that? It's important. However, the hardest path for me is when everything is going well with the world. And I don't see the enemy activity and therefore I feel I'm being not thrown on God for the answers. I don't know if you can relate to that. But you might think that being in this position is just living in the benefits of pressing through the first situation, the calm after the storm. I've just come back to the church from six or seven weeks sabbatical or break from church life where I didn't attend church here on a Sunday. Reason for that? Um, a lot on my plate, I guess. I was trying to balance family life with church life, with work life, etc. And many of you will know it's quite difficult to make that balance and get it all right. And the only way of alleviating the, pressure, alleviating the pressure, basically, was taking six weeks off church. Now, I didn't want to do that. That was the last thing I wanted to do. If someone said to me, take six weeks off work, great, no problem at all. Is it paid? Or even better, thank you very much. But taking six weeks off church is really hard because I love this church. I love the people in this church. Yeah, my passion is in this church. So I found that really difficult. But I made a massive mistake in that six weeks, and I took my foot off the spiritual gas. Can you relate to that? Maybe you've come back from a couple of weeks' holiday, and you thought, oh, great, this is great. Sit in the sun, let's read all the novels, etc. Put the Bible to one side. I won't get to the prayer meeting. Yeah, that and you come back, and you think, cracky, there's like a hole in my bucket. You know, my bucket was full of spiritual you know, welfare, if you like, full of spiritual stuff, and now there seems to be a hole. I needed a break, and church life was the only area of responsibility that would allow me one. And I was trying to get this balance between God, family, church, and work, and I got it wrong, and I lost my way, and I seemed far off God, and it's always God first in everything that we do. We must put God first. And then for me, it's family second, and then it's church, and then it's work. And you may disagree with the last two, but I've always said God first, family second, church third, and work fourth. Okay, I got the balance wrong, and I seemed far off God. And I felt like the man who said to his wife once, I'm going to run for five miles every night to get fit. And by the, first, the Friday of the first week, he was 25 miles away from his house. You sometimes feel like that, don't you? The further you go away, you seem further from God, further from God. It was a gradual thing. I took it spiritually easy. My discipline slipped. The flesh got in the way. And I listened to the enemy's small voice saying, you deserve a break, even from all church activity. And I listened to it, got sucked into that. And I found myself further from God each week. However, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. <laughs> what a wonderful God we serve. He's thought of everything. So when there's no pressure, when there's no crisis, when it appears there is no enemy activity pressing in, it's then when my discipline wavers and apathy can set in. And I can easily start putting off till tomorrow those things that need to be done today. Apathy and procrastination are two of the greatest dangers for any Christian. Oh, I'll start regularly coming to church when my job is settled, or I'll attend a life group when one opens up near me, or I'll get to the prayer meeting when I think I can do, but I can't this week. And when I say sometimes it appears that there is no enemy pressing in, then I've often found that the devil can be more effective in these times, and I can be lulled into a sense of false security. Oh yeah, I can deal with the roaring lion which is much more obvious to me, but the approach of the father of lies is much more subtle and often against me, much more effective. I remember back when I was thinking about this when I was preparing for this, my testimony of my conversion to Christ, many of you will know uh, very quickly. I was, I was, uh, my wife Julie was a coffee evening. I went to pick her up. Someone said, come on, you've got to listen to this woman. She was talking about 
um, the walled city in Hong Kong and how um, a lady called Jackie Pullen, who's now Jackie Toe, talking about these people in China, how people were coming off drugs, no needle marks, no, you know, cold, is it cold turkey? That'll do. Cold turkey. I love cold turkey, actually. Um, no cold turkey, coming off that. Um, and, you know, and I sat down, I just came and I sat down and I thought, either this woman is the biggest liar and it does a biggest charade or she's actually got something about this God. End of it. Anybody here want to give your life to the Lord? And I just knew at that moment I needed God in my life. I don't know why. I had no Christian upbringing at all. I know I needed to bow the knee at that stage. I knelt down with Julie, who was then, I think we were engaged, I think we at that stage. We knelt down, we were engaged. Someone prayed for me to receive Jesus in our lives, and we both did that. And then just someone said, do you want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? I hadn't got a clue what that was all about. I hadn't got a clue. I said, yeah, I'll have that as well. Whatever you've got, I'll have that. Thank you. And I was baptized on the Spirit, as was Julie, on the same night. And I went out of that place, and I was on such a high. I just knew that God had a purpose for me in my life. I just fell in love with him straight away. But... Probably the next day, big doubt in my mind. Now, speaking in tongues is not always the manifestation of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I appreciate that. But if you've been prayed for for baptism in the Holy Spirit, keep on pressing through. But for me, I spoke in tongues on that night. And it's a, it's a language that you won't understand necessarily. Someone brings the interpretation. But from the moment I started speaking in tongues, the enemy said to me, you're making that up. That's not speaking in tongues. You're making that up, aren't you? All that gibberish you're saying. Who's that to then? And I started to fall for it. And the only way for me to combat that is I went back to the source. I went back to the person who was in the room on that night and I said, talk to me about what happened to me on that night, please. I've spoken on this new language. I can see it in the Bible. It's very scriptural. But tell me what happened to me. And he said, you were definitely baptized in the Holy Spirit on the night. Opened up the scriptures, explained it to me. And I thought, right, I understand that now. But beware of the small voice in your head. In this non-pressurized environment, everything, everything seems to be in place, and therefore I can struggle to find God in all this calmness. So what should we do in a situation like this? Whether we find God easier to find on the battlefield of life, or whether we withdraw to the quiet place, it doesn't matter. Above all, he's to be found in both areas. In all circumstances, we are called to be a people who pursue God's presence. Pursue or pursuit, it's a verb, it's a doing word. It's not passive, it must have actions following it. So I can't pursue God by sitting down in the pub drinking a pint of beer necessarily. I can pursue God by sitting in the quiet place and calling on his name. I can pursue God by picking up the Bible, by attending the life group, by getting to a prayer meeting, by standing up and singing on a Sunday. I can pursue God like that. But it's an active, active action. And it can't be done in a passive way. Why should we pursue God? Because only in him will we find the grace to face each day. Only in him will we find his mercy that is new every morning. Only in him will we find guidance, love and answer to prayer. And only in him will we feel the Father's embrace. I need to wise up a little and I need to change. But God has promised he will change us as we give him entrance into our lives. He has promised to change us and we will be and we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. As we spend time listening to the word of God, as we read and meditate on his word, 
as we spend time in prayer, as we listen to his Holy Spirit, we are being changed. In his presence we overcome, we break through, we experience the victory, we develop our faith and we experience signs and wonders. So in conclusion this morning, be alert, be wise, be equipped, know your opponent and more importantly than anything, understand your position before Christ. If this church was like a stick of rock, what would be written through the middle of it, I wonder? Let's not be a body of people who are blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in the deceitful scheming. But let us be a body of people who are spiritually mature, on the front foot for God, and expecting to do greater things than Jesus because he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen. Thank you.